0: Dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, You can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. I'm Jennifer Gonzalez from the Cult of Pedagogy Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts, Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1...
1: episode 72 of the google teacher tribe podcast your source for the latest google for education news tips tricks and ideas you can use in class tomorrow i'm casey bell from shakeuplearning.com
2: and i'm matt miller from DitchThatTextbook.com. and today we have one of my favorite people on this entire planet aside from casey she's one of my favorites too but Aww. we're all going to be on the same episode. It'll be good because uh, this is this is Lisa Hyphill that you're going to get to hear from. She is one of the co-creators of Hyperdocs, and we started to dabble in Hyperdocs a little bit with Sean Fahey last week, and so now Lisa is going to continue to push that forward. But this conversation it is about Hyperdocs, but it's really about good, solid teaching using technology, which really is at the heart of everything that we stand for here at the Google Teacher Tribe. So we absolutely loved this conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. We've got a few uh, Google News and updates. We've got a couple of really good tips from the tribe and a couple of blog posts to share. I am ready to get this going. Are you ready, Casey? Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay, Tribe, let's take a look at what's going on with Google this week with our Google News and Updates. So I'm going to kick things off with something that I have mixed feelings about (laughs) for for a couple of different reasons. But G Suite is going to update Docs, Sheets, Slides, and Sites with the new material design. So material design has been coming slowly into everything that we do inside Google. We just got the update inside Google Classroom. Classroom, and now it's going to affect all the screenshots and all of the free resources that I've already Aww. created. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> thus is my ever evolving problem uh, is that I love Google, but they update all the time and it makes it really hard to keep all of my resources up to date. But I can't see the changes yet. I can only see the screenshots that they're sharing online. So it, it really is just more of a, a look and feel kind of change. It looks like everything's going to still kind of exist in the same location. So hopefully it won't affect too much, especially since I just worked so hard on that Google Docs cheat sheet. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm crossing my fingers, y'all, but hopefully everybody's going to love it. Um, Rapid release, we'll start seeing it, uh, it says by January 15th. So um, I haven't seen it and I have rapid release. So uh, you should start seeing it between now and the middle
2: of February. Very good. But it's going to be pretty. So that will be, be pretty. I like pretty things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, the next thing we have for you is a set of resources that help us deal with what some people like to call fake news or misinformation. And so um, this is a this is something that that Google has undertaken with a group called MediaWise. And they talk a little bit about a neat, training that they did with a group of 2000 students and we're talking about how they interact online and social media and looking at different posts and everything. And they got to see how, you know, some posts are clearly bogus and some are not so clearly, but they still are bogus. And so having some resources available uh, makes things better for teachers and students, really for, for everybody. If we have a more informed citizenry so to speak then we're we're able to combat this stuff so um google has worked with mediawise to launch the teen fact checking network so they've got 24 students from across the country who will do original fact checking videos for youtube instagram facebook and twitter to help teens to be able to see you know what is legit and what's not then they've also got some reporters that are going to uh, guide them on their quest to fact check the Internet. So there's going to be all of these resources. In fact, MediaWise is going to partner with John Green, you know, the, the author of uh, The Fault in Our Stars, um, to create a ten-part series on his crash course, some of you may actually use his crash course videos in class. So there will be a whole uh, ten-part series called "Navigating Digital Information." So there are links to all of these great resources. This really is just a boatload of good stuff related to this whole misinformation issue. And so you can get those links, and of course anything else, on our show notes at GoogleTeacherTribe.com/72. All right, tribe. If you didn't get enough about hyperdocs in our last episode, guess what? We're coming right back to it. Woo-hoo! So, yeah, I know, I know. We're uh, we are thrilled to have Lisa Highfill, one of the co-creators of the whole hyperdocs idea. And a, if you're not totally sure what hyperdocs is, you'll find a little bit about it in our uh, episode today. But b, a lot of the things we'll talk about today really just apply to good teaching and good technology use in the classroom. So I really, I know that you're going to get a lot out of this interview. So um, I'm going to stop talking and let Lisa tell you a little bit about herself so we can just uh, get into this. So Lisa, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you tell the tribe just a little bit about who you are and what you do?
3: Yeah, oh, Thanks for inviting me to be on your show. I love this show. Uh, my name is Lisa Heifel. I'm an inst- um, instructional technology coach, actually, integration specialist is our new title this year uh, in Pleasanton, California. So I'm in the San Francisco East Bay. I was a um, fifth grade teacher for 20 years and have moved into this coaching role and find that I absolutely love working with adults and working with teachers in my district. It's been um, a nice, nice shift. Uh, And I still get to be in classrooms every day. So I do love that part. I also um and work uh, in the district with my uh, co-authors Sarah Landis and Kelly Hilton, and we are so lucky that we get to not only work together with HyperDocs, but we get to work um in our district and bringing um you know good teaching strategies to our teachers who are doing the job every day.
2: I, I know as far as as far as HyperDocs go, like you mentioned earlier, um you know your your co-authors Sarah and Kelly. Uh, work there with you. And this is this is something that, I mean, it, it's sort of something that evolved from your work together. And so I wondered if you could tell everybody real quick, sort of um, just the the short origin story of why you guys did this and why you thought it was important.
3: Yeah. So we were um, getting all of these Chromebooks um, in our classrooms. I was so excited. We were finally getting tech. This was like six, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago at this point. And Uh, I noticed that, you know, we were getting carts that were getting moved in and it was all for testing, for state testing. And I thought, this is crazy. We need to maximize this investment. We're finally getting tech and our focus is testing. And we realized that um, the challenge was when the cart gets pushed into your room, how do you then have good teaching practices with? with those Chromebooks whenever you want has one in hand going beyond the here, go to this link and, and play this game or try this program. How do we bring good lesson design into uh, incorporated into the use of technology um, when it would solve um, issues for us? We were having in the classroom. That was really the, the gist of it. It was, we started doing this. We all three are fifth grade teachers. And we just started um, doing this across the district from each other um, uh, to start to experiment and find better ways to utilize that technology.
1: Model. Well, that, you know that's that's such a great piece when you talk about schools getting new technology, they don't know what to do with it and trying to be purposeful about it. And I feel like I've had sort of a behind the curtain uh, view of some of the work that you've done over the years, you and I have worked together at a few Google summits, and I've seen sort of the evolution of your your Google Docs presentations. And it really excited me um, to see it come to life in the HyperDoc handbook. But what I, I feel like Everybody should understand, and, and maybe it's just because I'm such a stickler. Because I feel like er, some teachers really think a hyperdoc is just a document that has links in it. So, could you give us a little more of the foundation that goes with that, how you make sure that this is meaningful, the four C's, and all of those types of things? Yes,
3: thank you for that. Because if you look at one, um, you know, literally it is a Google Doc or a slide deck with links on it. So, yes, technically um, that, um, people, when they observe that, um, yes, that's the case, but just like any good lesson plan, um, you don't know what happened before that lesson, what happened during the lesson and what happened after. Um, it's, I always say it's the hidden pedagogy behind what is written on that doc. And that's where our magic, our craft as a teacher comes in. You know, when we, um, got teachers shifting from assigning to designing. It was a major aha, not only for us, but the teachers we were working with. You know, we were going off of our um, adopted curriculum and teacher's manuals, and it just felt like we were assigning to get through it. When we stopped and examined the work that we're asking kids to do and really think about it, how is this assignment or this lesson meeting the needs of all of our kids? You know, we have all these initiatives we're asked to do. It really comes down to as a teacher, we can really exercise our craft and create really purposeful lessons by just paying attention to what we design. So, we started with our templates, which kind of force you into this cycle of learning that we find very powerful. And I have to give a shout out to Ramsey Musalam because. He's the one who got me thinking about this years ago, that um, really powerful uh, lesson design is starting with letting kids explore content first before you explain. And that was a huge shift in my instruction, um, getting that inquiry based learning before I just have them do passive learning, you know, come in, sit down, listen, and then I'm going to assign you work, letting kids explore first and then. Getting to the explanation and you know revising schema and um, getting to the gist of what you really want. and um, then getting to the application of knowledge. So explore, explain, apply uh, is the um, backbone of the Hyperdoc work um, that we're doing in some of our lesson design. Actually though, and I love that you brought it, I know we've known each other a long time, and I, I feel like we you know keep changing and keep studying this. Um, idea behind lesson design, something that's really um, come about, and I see this across the country, um, are district initiatives that we're trying to implement in our classrooms, whether it's RTI, um, you know, response to intervention, or it's universal design for learning, or it's meeting our um, language learners' needs, or our sp- um, students with special needs. Um, so we're really working with teachers. Um, okay, you made this digital lesson. Let's revise and edit it with the lens of this student. How are you specifically meeting the needs of that student? And here are some tips you could do, really easy to embed into this lesson uh, in order to support all learners in that lesson. And that's something that's been really exciting to do is that we call it um the close reading of lesson design, you know, where you go back and you look at it once, and then you go back with a different lens and you look at it again. And I have to say um, that. This process, the big aha for us was when you get teachers studying lesson design and their own lesson design, it brings that creativity into their craft. And uh, I I just see such a transformation in in people with that energy, like that excitement, that creativity, and what that does for us as adult learners um, has a profound effect to um, what we're doing in the classroom. So.
1: You just blew my mind, by the way, with that whole lesson design and, and comparing it to the close reading. Um, I, I love that and getting getting teachers to take that closer look because I feel like sometimes there's such a big missing piece in the way that we design lessons that it becomes such a requirement that it loses that creativity. And, and anyway, I, I just love that.
3: You know, and I have to say, too, it sounds really complicated and it sounds really hard. But when, you know, and you said it earlier, when you work with your EL students for, you know, um, working on um, language skills, it comes down to just good teaching. So when I the lesson and I'm trying to how am I supporting the needs of my um, language learners? It's also supporting the needs of my students with special needs. Um, it, It kind of all double counts. I'm like, wait a minute, all kids are getting, <laughs> getting this. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it's just incredible when you look at it, it's not as complicated and it's little simple things mm-hmm. you can do. Um, nothing that is, um, rocket science or takes me too long. It's, it's the little things.
2: You know. Yeah. And you know, to, to kind of follow up on that, you know, I, I love and have loved for the longest time. I know, um, just, You know, through, through you and through Kelly and Sarah and all hearing that whole, let's not assign, let's design and just that term lesson design. I think there's, I think there's a lot to that. And when you have teachers that are sort of exposed to that at first, and I think you even alluded to the fact that sometimes it sounds like it's big and it's scary and it's a lot. And, you know, there's, and that you, you can't really, you know, teachers might have trouble digging into it. Um, what advice do you have to the ones that, want to start making that shift. They want to go... To become less of an assigner and more of a designer. And I know it's kind of a big topic. And there's lots of directions. I'm sure you've probably got at least some tips that you can you can give people if they want to start moving in that direction.
3: Oh, yes. I mean, I think when you um, start the practice of um, designing these dynamic lessons, integrating tech, and, and when I say this, I don't mean that you're on, you just give them the hyperdoc and they just go. I, I'm a full proponent of blended learning, where we're on tech, we're off tech. And so that's where that hidden pedagogy uh, gets into like, um, you know, first you're going to explore and then we're going to reflect as a class. We're going to get off tech. So that's really important that as a, a teacher, you bring your craft and your beliefs to this lesson design. There is no one right way to do this. That's really important to remember. Um, And so you use your judgment and you use that sense of balance in the classroom and think this doesn't feel right. The kids aren't responding right. You take time to investigate and study your students while they're studying your content. I think that's super important to be a reflective teacher during this process, first of all. So give yourself a big break and don't think you're, there's never a doing it wrong. That'd be like saying every day we're in the classroom, you know, you would be thinking you're doing it wrong potentially. but. the easiest ways to get started is to find a lesson. And I've been really recommending this lately. Do you ever feel like you have that lesson that's super important and you explain it? Uh, this always happens to me in math and, you know, it was always like um, uh, subtracting mixed fractions where you explain it. And then the next day people come in and you're like, "Did you get it? And they it was like, I never explained it. <laughs> like we were here yesterday, everyone, it's just Groundhog Day, you know, and it's like every day I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll explain it again. So it's some of those lessons. And um, I know we've, um, I've chatted with you about this before. It's the sticky learning piece. And it's so important. We want to have you start with a lesson that you really want to stick, whether it's about comma usage or whether it's about fractions. Oh, we just did one lately. It was proportional reasoning because it's one of those lessons I hear in multiple grade levels and by high school, darn, that needs to stick. I'm done. I'm done explaining it. So we tend to hyperdoc those really essential um, lessons to start and see if it works, see if that knowledge sticks. Um, we also... Look, um, encourage people to look at some of their projects that they're just kind of tired of doing that kind of need a makeover that they love the concept and what they were doing but they just want to give it a little update and so start with one thing i i would never i never taught um hyperdocs all day long every day i would do maybe one in one subject a week you know so you really give yourself a big break on that but what starts to happen is it starts to work for you because you start to think differently about tech integration in your classroom. You're like, I now am going to design this lesson because it provides time for me to pull a small group. And so it becomes a solution for you rather than just, I want to get kids using tech for the sake of using it. And I kind of get into that and I look through my week and through my lesson plans and think, how can I start solving some of my bigger issues in the room um, by um, utilizing and maximizing the, uh, um, the benefits of some of this tech and getting the rest of the kids doing meaningful work and collaborating and communicating. And so it's um, building these like dynamic, you know, lessons that kind of lead me when I started with like, okay, we're just going to do a 45 minute lesson. Well, then I started thinking, well, this would make for a great unit. Like this would be so much easier. And I could see I started building the plane as it was flying, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to just build this unit every day as we go. And then I could go back the next year and kind of reflect on that unit and say, oh, this didn't work. I got to change this. It's leading me naturally to what I do really love. And I've been studying for a long time, which is project-based learning. And so instead of jumping straight into that, I just kind of eased myself into it one lesson at a time. Easing in, how can I uh, maximize that tech use or not tech use? Like, oh, this did not work. I want to be off tech for this part. So, I don't know if that's a long-winded explanation.
1: <laughs> no, it makes so. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I don't think either one of us wanted to to stop the momentum that you had going. Um, but you know what? I'm really curious because of all of the hyperdocs that you you've created, that your co-authors have created. And then now on the HyperDocs website where you have the Teachers Give Teachers platform where other teachers are in there sharing, what have you seen that has blown your mind with this whole idea? Either, you know, I'm sure there's probably several, but I mean, what, what really stands out to you in terms of the transformation that you've seen and, and the types of, of new lesson design that you've seen?
3: Um, So in in terms of of new lesson design, I think it's um, watching teachers um, be able to blend their, their district mandated curriculum and textbooks or whatever, and sort of I'm going to say it sort of work to ditch the textbook. Yes, you did (laughs) say it. (laughs) We're actually though using it really smart in a, in a way as a, we're not saying don't use it or don't follow it. We're saying you could repackage it in order to meet all the other district initiatives that you're doing, whether it be, um, you know, working in groups or whether it's, um, you know, building in collaboration or, um, you know, all these different things you can do um, to, to change up um, a lesson and make it uh, my favorite term. And I know Sean might have said this, too, into something that you never could have done before. It's something that you never imagined possible before. And that's, to me, um, something that I look for um, in, in when I'm working towards innovation. What is it now that I could do that I couldn't do before? Otherwise... Is it worth my time doing this? So I'm seeing teachers create these really dynamic lessons that I never thought to use the tool in that way. They're kind of, you know, hacking their own um, uh, curriculum and the way web tools are used instead of singularly on their own standalone. It's now packaged and combined uh, with this workflow that is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's, it's really been amazing to watch. Um, So on the side of lesson design, that's what I'm seeing. Um, I'm so inspired. you know, I also use the term mentor text all the time because I'm a workshop girl, but I'm so inspired by other people's lessons. And I'm seeing that, um, uh, that effect that, um, once I'm inspired by a lesson, it gives me new ideas to create. And then I want to share, and then it just keeps going. So some of our lessons that are getting turned into Teachers Give Teachers have multiple names across the bottom where teachers have, um, you know, taken the lesson, revised and edited, and it just keeps growing and shifting and changing. I think that is amazing.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, Yeah, I've seen several of them where you see all of those names at the bottom and you go, wow, there have been a lot of fingerprints on this lesson that, that have changed it around. And I love the fact well, first of all, I love the fact that you just said ditch that textbook. But <laughs> aside, aside from that, you know, the fact that you said and I, this is my my totally my approach, too, um, is that it doesn't necessarily mean you have to get rid of those textbooks, but you're going to hack the lesson or you're going to repackage it, which I know that repackaging idea is something that Casey and I have talked about a lot and, on the show and everything. And um, yeah, it's just it's just kind of a different a different way of thinking of it. That's something you said earlier, is that you start to think differently about teaching. And you think about, you know, what are the strengths of all of the tools at my disposal and which ones go in what order to create the maximum impact? And I think that's really what this whole lesson design thing is all about, which I think is amazing. So Lisa, this has been phenomenal and I don't want it to stop. I do know that um, hyperdocs.co is kind of like the home base for all things hyperdocs. Do you have any other uh, suggested resources or ways that they can get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter, and that's where I tend to spend my
3: conversation time. But our Facebook group is off the hook. I like to say it's the nicest people on social media. Any teachers who are feeling alone on an island, if you go and post your questions there, you will get 20 responses by the end of the day of people just willing to support and help you out. So if you look up um, HyperDocs and Facebook and join our group, uh, it's been quite an experience um, communicating with people there. Um, we have big surprises this year, too. 2019 is a big year for us. So,
1: Well, this has just been so amazing, Lisa. Thank you so much for spending time with us and the Google Teacher Tribe. And for those listeners who are like, what was that thing she said? Don't worry. We're going to put everything into the show notes for you and you'll be able to get All of the links to her website, to Teachers Give Teachers, and to that fabulous Facebook group, which I am a member of, and I will vouch for that. Everything she said is completely true. So you can get all of that information in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 72. And hopefully we will see you at at ISTE, and, and maybe we'll have you on the podcast again down the road. So thank you so much for your time.
3: Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you guys for
3: inviting me. Love working with you. There's a letter in your mailbox!
2: Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've
0: got mail.
1: Okay, y'all, let's jump into the mailbag, which I really am beginning to enjoy the fact that so many people are not just asking questions, but leaving tips as well and lots of great things to share. And our first tip today comes from John Hartman, and he's in St. Louis, and he left us a Speak Pipe message, which, you know, we love. So take it away, John.
4: Hey, Casey and Matt and Tribe. John, I teach uh, third grade in the St. Louis area. One tip I found useful lately is naming a version in um, revision history in Google Apps. Um, I set up a template, whether that be in like Sheets for math or in Slides for goal tracking, etc., and then I name it master. Once the students complete the task that we're using it for, I can go and reset to the master by going back to revision history and reverting to that example, and then I can use it again over and over again and not have to recreate the re- wheel. The uh, student data just as new because of resetting it to master. So just a tip I've been using quite a bit in a couple of different applications. Thanks.
1: Isn't that just a fabulous idea? So I I love version history and I never really thought about using it as a a template for the master. So um, I, I actually would love to see more and learn more about how he does this. And if he goes back or if he makes, um, of course, making a copy would be different. But I, you know, just it, curious to how he keeps track of the various versions as students progress and move on. So uh, thank you so much, John, for sharing that tip.
2: Yeah, that's so cool. I'm, I'm starting to see all of the possibility and the potential in the revision histories and keeping everything straight. And yeah, if you haven't poked around with that and started naming histories and seeing how it works, definitely go check it out. It's pretty cool. It's just as easy as clicking all changes saved in Drive and Drive in your Google Docs. The next one we have comes from Jake Miller. Jake is a loyal listener of the Google Teacher Tribe from Ohio. Um, I've gotten to meet him in person a couple of times, and he's got a really cool hack that you might not expect from Google Sheets. So tell us all about that, Jake.
4: Hey, Jimmy, Matt, and Casey. Jake Miller here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. One of my very favorite things about the Google Teacher Tribe is the way that you are so committed to creating this community of educators learning together to do great things for students. And these tips from the tribe episodes are a perfect example of that. The tip that I want to share today is using Google Translate in Google Sheets. A lot of people don't realize the power of the formulas in Google Sheets. They think they just do math, but they do a whole lot of other things like Google Translate. So if you type in equals Google Translate into a cell in Google Sheets, you'll get to a formula that allows you with the correct usage to take words in one language and translate them to a different language. And it actually works with every language that Google Translate supports, which is over a hundred different languages. This is a really great tool when you have English language learners in your classroom to take vocabulary words from your class and translate them to their native language so they can better understand the content. I know a lot of teachers who have taken this and actually gone a step further and use flippity.net to turn these spreadsheets into flashcards for these students to practice those words, which is just so awesome. What an awesome app smash they're using there and an awesome hack. If teachers want to find out how to do this, they can hop over to my website, which is jakemiller.net and search for translate. And I've got an edu gift there on how to do this. Thank you guys for everything you do and have a great day.
0: Hey, Tribe. Producer Chris just wanted to break in here real quick and let you know that Jake Miller has his own podcast, which is brand new, and you need to check it out. It's called Educational Duct Tape. Duct, not duck. This podcast focuses on viewing ed tech as a tool used to meet goals, address learning standards, and solve problems in the classroom, much as duct tape is used as a tool that solves a plethora of problems in our lives. Jake Miller sits down each week with a different inspiring guest with awesome ideas for using tech in the classroom to share and discuss some awesome ideas. So check it out by going to eductape.com, and that's E-D-U-D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E dot com. And now, back to Matt and Casey.
2: Oh, How cool is that? I mean, just like Jake said, you never think about pairing Google Translate with Google Sheets. You don't even think about them, them working together, but Sheet certainly does more than math, and See, I never would have thought of turning those into flashcards. That's just that's just brilliant. And I mean, the, the foreign language geek inside of me, uh, you know, the longtime high school Spanish teacher is is super excited about this. And I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much possibility, especially within sheets to do more than just math, just like Jake said. So anyway, this was such a good tip. And so was John's. And so are all of them that we get from all of you. And if you've got one that you'd like to share or a question you'd like to ask, of course, please do head over to googleteachertribe.com and leave us a voice message or drop us a a message there. Maybe even a tweet on the GT Tribe hashtag and we would love to check those out. Boy, this has been one feature-packed episode. There's been so much good stuff that that everybody has shared. And so we're going to drop a couple of quick blog posts on you before we finish up. Just to give you a, a little bit more before, before you, uh, before you wrap up this episode. And so I wanted to share with you a post on my blog at Ditch That Textbook. It's called Six Ways to Make the Most of Closed Captions in Google Slides. And if you're not familiar, we do have these pretty amazing live closed captions that you can turn on in Google Slides, where if you're giving a presentation and displaying your slides, you can turn on these live closed captions where it will transcribe basically everything that you say and display it right on the screen. And so there are, of course, lots of ways that you can use this in the classroom. And I've got six of them that you can check out. And so they they go from you know using them in a screencast video to, to display the captions to just putting a single slide up on the, the screen to use closed captions just for the closed captions and not for the slides. Lots of different ways you can do that. So you can check that out on that blog post.
1: I love it. Those That's a really fabulous feature that they added into Google Slides, which, you know, we're a huge fan of Google Slides here on the tribe. Well, we are. Yeah, yeah. We are. yeah you might say we've <laughs> done a few episodes on slides. Well, yeah. I I have another blog post to share. And I'm I'm really trying to get back into some of the basic tools and some things that I feel like either teachers don't know enough about or the advantages of. And so I did a post called Five Ways to Use the Google Docs Explore Tool. And you know I feel like a lot of people don't know how many little features are built into this special little sidebar. And so it does some really neat things. It uses machine learning to try to predict things that will help you when you're creating and composing and Google Docs. Of course, we have the Explorer tool in other applications as well, but this post is really just about how to use it with with Docs. So, we get things like quick access recommendations, things that Google will find that's related to what you're composing. You can search your drive. You can easily click and drag to add links to other files you have in your drive inside your doc. You can search the web, which I think is huge because we all know if kids open a new tab to go search, we just lost like 15 (laughs) minutes of instructional time, right? So... Yeah, so yeah. True. so you can search the web and then it gets even better is the fact that you can cite sources from the web um, and you can do that in MLA, APA or Chicago. It is a footnote citation, but hey, I'll take it. And then, of course, you can search for images and um, you will find that most of these images are specially filtered so that students can actually use these in their presentation. So I've got all of that information in the blog post to show you how and to help give you some tips. So um, go check that out. And, you know, we hope that you will continue to uh, not only listen to the tribe, but of course, contribute to all the things that we are, are doing and sharing online. And we'd love to hear from you what your favorite tips are as well. wraps up episode 72 of the Google Teacher Tribe. And I think this might be one of my favorite episodes ever. Lisa Highfill brought it. I mean, mic drop, bow down. We're not worthy. She's amazing. If you Do not follow her already. If you're not connected to her or the HyperDocs world, you want to get in there. If you love Google, you're going to love what you can do with HyperDocs and Google tools. And Lisa is just the person to help you do that with some really meaningful lesson design. So thank you to Lisa for joining us today. And, you know, we hope that we will continue to connect with you on the hashtag GTTribe on twitter as well as hear from you on our feedback page on google so continue to send us your questions and your tips so that we can keep sharing those with the tribe
2: we love you guys we love being able to interact with you we love the community we just we we like you a lot if we haven't told you before so anyway that wraps up another episode of the google teacher tribe and we will see you on the next episode
1: love y'all
2: This has been a feature-packed episode so far, and we're almost done. But before we leave, we wanted to give you just a couple – hang on. yeah. (laughs) hear that beeping. There's a truck backing up. It looks like it's almost done. You can see it in the reflection of the window. Dude, park the truck. Are you sure those are not closed
1: captions?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty sure. Thank goodness. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website chrisnessy Dot .com and I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast